stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, so, and we're going to get into this story, but there, there are a lot of questions still uh, about the uh, massacre in Nova Scotia this year, and in particular, uh, the gunman, Gabriel Wardman, and what he was doing in the lead-up to this massacre, and obviously his, his motivation. So regardless uh, of what comes out of some of these new revelations, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that there's a strong case here for a full public inquiry into all of this. Now, one of the troubling aspects of the story that's come to light in the last week or so that the RCMP is now finally responding to, by the way, and we'll get into that. But the fact that Wortman withdrew $475,000 in cash shortly before the massacre. Now, obviously, that's a lot of money. But the circumstances under which he withdrew this are, are very, very unusual. Enough so that some questions have been raised about whether the RCMP might have been involved here. Now, the Toronto Star had a story yesterday that now has some some more, uh, I think, emphatic RCMP denials about any kind of a relationship with Gabriel Wortman as either an informant or an agent and suggesting that he was just worried about the pandemic, which is why he withdrew that money. But it doesn't speak to the how how he got this money, which is really, really important. Uh, There's a fascinating piece over the weekend at mcleans.ca exploring some of the various aspects of this story and some some really interesting thoughts and theories from some sources here. Paul Palango is a veteran journalist and author, has written extensively about the RCMP and has written extensively about uh, this whole situation, including this piece, which, as mentioned, you can find at mcleans.ca. Paul, good to talk to you again here. Welcome to the program. Uh, good to be back, Rob. Uh, so let's let's lay this out for people, and you know what you've uncovered about the withdrawal of this four hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, and and why so many of your sources are pointed to just how unusual that is, and and what it might indicate. Well, the the way I discovered it was that you know Stephen Marr from McLean's had a tip that Wortman had taken out a million dollars, but he couldn't prove that, and it was delivered by Brinks. And then I heard from an independent source that it was five hundred thousand. I couldn't figure it couldn't prove it. And so I've uh, used an unusual sort of uh, tactic called pre- basically uh, uh, investigative journalist performance art. I went on a local talk show in Halifax, the Rick Howe show, and basically laid out what the problems were with investigating this, because everything is a secret. You can't find anything out. And I asked uh, the audience to basically help me out here. Is it a million dollars, 500000 What happened? And the next day that led to the tip that uh, led us to the 475000 being withdrawn in $100 bills from a Briggs Depot in uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, on March 30th, so 18 days before the massacre began. Right. And let's be clear, because, I mean, as you mentioned, you found this out through your reporting, but presumably then the RCMP would have known this and they could have disclosed this some time ago. Well, the other twist in it, the other twist in it, it wasn't a conventional withdrawal. It's not like he went to the bank and liquidated things. He went through a company called CIBC Intria, which basically is used to move money around and stock ATM machines. So the money went from Intria to Brinks, and then we have video of him picking it up. From Brinks? So, from Brinks. 
And we didn't get it from Brinks, but we got a video of it. And it shows conclusively that he got it. So this raises all kinds of questions, like who knows how to do this? And when we published the first story last uh, Wednesday about the transaction itself, we didn't put in about Intria. We didn't really know about Intria. Mm -hmm. But uh, then we got the Intria part of it for a Friday story, which now raised all kinds of questions because, you know, we had Mounties, uh, basically current and former Mounties calling saying, you've just identified him as a CI because what he's doing is tradecraft. Nobody knows how to go get money out of the, you know, out of Intria, route it through Intria and put it into, uh, go to Brinks, go through the gates at Brinks, go up and pick up the money. It's just not done. No, it's not. I mean, if somebody had that amount of money in a bank account and you went into your bank uh, to withdraw $475,000, they wouldn't send you to Brinks to pick it up, right? Brinks might bring that amount of money there, but there would have to be all kinds of, of, of oversight and people signing off on this. You, you don't just go down to Brinks and, and pick up a bag of money. Well, wait, but if you do, it avoids FinTrack and all the, all the regulatory systems right. and all the monitoring of transactions. There's only one, as I understand it, only one paper is signed and poof, it's out the door. So this doesn't make sense. You know, and then the RCMP, you know, we put all of these questions to the RCMP before both stories. Mm-hmm. What do you know about this? What, and they basically said nothing. And we asked detailed questions about this. They said nothing. Then once the story was out, they waited a couple of days, and I think panic is set again because it, the, the other part of the story is that if he was a confidential informant, well, the laws are that you, you know, basically confidential informants are protected in, in life and death. Then we got a copy of the manual for confidential informants, the handling of confidential informants. And in that, it says that the RCMP can deceive or lie about the existence of a confidential informant, except to a court. And I think this is very important. So, you know, when they come out in the Toronto Star and deny that he's a confidential informant, well, you know, as we pointed out in our article on Friday, in their own manual, it says they can lie. So... I'm not sure I really believe them. And then the last, the last part of this is that the star, you know, when I was back at the Globe and Mail for a number of years, five years in a row, I think, we won virtually every investigative reporting award there was. And virtually every one of those stories, the star would basically come in and talk to the targets of the story and uh, have them shit on us. Excuse the word. <laughs> but dump on us. And, uh, you know, I, I still feel very strongly in the story because until it's disproven, there's a real problem here. We don't know what's going on. The RCMP tells, isn't telling us. And there's all kinds of weird, anomalous things happening in this story that shouldn't be there. Well, in the RCMP, I mean, you know, as you say, they're, they're denying this, and maybe they sought out the Toronto Star to, to deny this, or the RC, or whatever. I, I don't know how that came about, but they're, they're not really giving an explanation for the very unusual circumstances uh, of this, this cash transaction here. So if, if they've got a better explanation for how he managed to, to do this, or why he did it this way, 
I'd like to hear it. Well, uh, there almost seems like a lack of curiosity on their part, really, strangely enough, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, what we're seeing, and what is maybe suspicious of this story from the beginning, it's all sort of orchestrated, and it's, or, yeah, okay, they keep saying, oh, Wordman is a bad guy, and he's crazy. We know that. Yeah. But we, what we don't know is why the RCMP didn't block the roads, didn't send out an alert. Why they responded in the, the poorly the way they did. It was an epic failure of policing. They don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about Wharton was a bad guy. He was a misogynist. Uh, he beat his girlfriend. Blah, 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 blah. And he took this money out because he was afraid of COVID. I'm sorry. You know, I don't think that happened. You know, I just got real I'm skeptical of that story. And, you know, the thing about it is they keep pounding away on this this, this thing and, and you know when it comes to the 475,000 you have to look at it this way they have no way of uh saying anything but Wortman took it out of his account or it's Wortman's money because if they said it was money they paid to Wortman then they're admitting Wortman's a CI right they're in a box and you know if you look at their story uh, the story that Doug Kwan done did um, they basically confirm everything in the McLean story, the amounts, da, 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 the dates, everything else, but they're saying, well, he wasn't a CI. But they had no alternative but to say that. Until we can prove and have a public inquiry about what really happened, we're, you know, we're going to stick with the, you know, stand by our guns, you know? What's your sense of, of why he might have had a relationship with the RCMP? What kind of insight might he have had into... To criminal enterprises that, that they might have been leaning on him for? Well, he had something like 13 motorcycles. He was a motorcycle nut. He was involved. Uh, there's a lot of criminality around him. I mean, his, his uh, I think with the last time we talked, his, his uh, handyman that's come to light now, um, Peter Allen Griffin, that's G-R-I-F-F-O-N, was arrested in Edmonton in 2014 as part of La Familia MS-13, you know, a notorious gang arrested there. Then he went to prison and came back, and he's a longtime friend of Wortman's. So whether uh, Griffin or others around him were Hell's Angels, we don't know. But we, what we do know is there's a lot of biker background in, in, in Griffin and other people around Wortman and... So, you know, and he couldn't have operated, you know, police and others tell me he couldn't have operated in Alberta without the approval of the Hells Angels, no matter if he's La Familia or MS-13 or whatever, that there has to be some sort of relationship there. Now, obviously, I mean, you're going to keep digging into this story, but I mean, that, that's that's not the ideal way that we would get to the bottom of this, to, to have reporters have to keep digging this stuff up. I mean, a public inquiry, I think, at this point seems the, the most obvious way of... <laughs> addressing all of this, but what, what's your sense on, on how we bring all of this to light and, and clear the air on all this stuff? Well, I think, Rob, you touched on something really important here, that from the outset, the Solicitor General of Canada and the uh, Public Safety Attorney General Justice Minister of Nova Scotia, who are both former policemen, uh, you know, Mark Ferry in uh, Nova Scotia is a former Mountie, you know, a staff sergeant. They keep saying, oh, we, we would like a review, not an inquiry. Well, this is important. This is a signal that what they're saying is they have something to hide because a review basically goes over what happened and there's no uh, testimony given, no 
nobody is compelled to testify about what happened. They're just basically looking at, oh, well, we should have done this better, should have done that better. This is bigger than that. 22 people died, and nine of them clearly died because, you know, on the second day, because the RCMP didn't do anything to provide for the security and safety of people in Nova Scotia. They were completely lax. And we have to ask, what was going on? There's something else going on here because the story doesn't make sense. Well, people can read your reporting at uh, mcleans.ca, and I'm sure much more to come. Paul, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. All the best. Uh, that is uh, veteran uh, journalist and author Paul Palango. Uh, as mentioned, uh, he's written three books about the RCMP and has been uh, very active in digging into this story. And some of the aspects of the story that, as he said, just they don't add up and they don't make sense. So the RCMP can dig in their heels and deny certain aspects. Okay, fair enough. But how do we explain all of this then? And what's, what's the way we get to the truth? Or is enough to, to just say, oh, okay, well, that's that, and maybe we'll never know. 403-974-8255 is the number here, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.